It's May 8th, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we will be your geeks in residence for the next hour. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Wayne Lewis from Honolulu Community College to tell us about the upcoming PCAT IT Summit. Finally, we will get an update on the Henry Kualoha Juni Digital Archive Project. We previewed the project maybe three years ago, and now we'll see how far they've come. We'd love your questions and comments as part of the conversation as well. Be ready to call in or tweet us. But first, the headlines. On the heels of an earlier University of Hawaii study that predicted a decrease in annual rainfall in the islands, a separate UH study says that Hawaii could see two to three times more hurricanes by the end of the century. Scientists at the International Pacific Research Center say their computer models say the specific regions like Hawaii could see more storms even as global models forecast a decrease in such events worldwide. The study looked at all tropical cyclones in the North Pacific from tropical storms to Category 5 hurricanes between 1979 and 2003. Their computer models matched real-world observations of storm events hitting or coming near Hawaii at an average of one every four years or so. When those models were run forward to the last quarter of this coming century and took into account an estimated 2 degree centigrade increase in global temperatures, they then saw storm events coming at double or even triple the current frequency. The researchers note that we might see fewer tropical cyclones forming in the eastern Pacific than we see today, but we could expect to see more of them reaching Hawaii as wind patterns across the Pacific shift along with the climate. Lead author Bin Wang said in a statement, Furthermore, since the climate models also project that the equatorial central Pacific will heat up, conditions may become more favorable for hurricane formation in the open ocean to the south or southeast of Hawaii. Now, you know, with the uh, satellite uh, imagery and our, our um, so, uh, technology that's able to really kind of monitor the path of some of these storms, you know, we, we normally see them sort of farming around Baja, California. South of there, right. Right, and then sort of uh, swinging into the sort of middle of the Pacific. But what they're saying is that the ocean might be warming up and would provide those storm systems enough energy to actually get further. Right. So they might be fewer of them, but they would be able to travel further for one. But I thought it was also interesting that by the move that they're predicting of the heat and the the jet streams and such around the Pacific, that storms also that form uh, in other areas Mm -hmm. of the Pacific might find their way to us that currently don't, that we don't even have on our radar right now, uh, no pun intended, um, will also become a threat as well. And so I, I think also they were talking about, again, even that report that we talked about last week saying that rainfall levels will fall. That doesn't mean that we're always going to be drying up and having less rain. And in fact, we're also seeing in addition to perhaps more drought conditions, still seeing more storm events and more uh, threat in that regard. So uh, climate change is certainly something that is, uh, for good reason, being studied here. Yeah, and I think it's probably still a good idea to get your emergency preparedness kit ready. Yeah, hurricane season's coming, so be prepared. On Kauai on Monday, Kauai Kini Public Charter School held a blessing for its new pair of 1,200-square-foot classroom buildings. These pre-engineered structures will simultaneously serve as learning laboratories and also as a test platform for renewable energy. The school is, in fact, the second of three sites in Hawaii to host these buildings, which are designed by California-based Project Frog. The structures have photovoltaic power generation systems as well as passive design elements to decrease energy demands for lighting and cooling. 
The building's design emphasizes sustainability, including construction costs and construction waste. And Project Frog says optimized daylighting provides natural illumination for more than 95% of the daylight hours and natural convection. The Kauai installation is being specifically enlisted to test two different photovoltaic systems, one using a high-efficiency crystalline technology and the other based on a new thin-film technology. While students will have access to the data from these systems for their own educational projects, the Hawaii Natural Energy Institute will be leading a research study to analyze its performance on behalf of the Office of Naval Research for potential Navy applications. A similar test is already underway at Ilima Intermediate school on Oahu, where that photovoltaic solar array is already producing more energy than the building consumes. Finally, a third, much larger project is being planned for next spring, a 40,000-square-foot medical building for Kaiser Permanente in Kona. You know, if you look up uh, Project Frog, uh, it's a pretty interesting company. I mean, they're based in San Francisco, and uh, they create these things, and they don't like, like to call them, um, you know, sort of prefab. Prefab, or, yeah. right. They're, they're more like, uh, well, kind of modular. They like to call them um, impact platforms, but they're able to put up these classrooms in a fairly short amount of time. Right, and they're talking about classrooms for sure, education, but they see retail applications. Medical for sure is on their radar, which is why I think um, they're working with Kaiser Permanente on the Big Island. Um, but they're actually nice-looking buildings, and they talk about specifically they're, they came at it from the construction side, though, like what is inefficient about the construction process, you know, how do you make it easy to assemble these component buildings, um, and the energy, you know, savings and such is, is a happy byproduct of that. But every place I seen these pictures posted, the first comment is, what about houses? I mean, I, I like the look of this building. I, I'd live in a Project Frog building, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and, and uh, evidently, they also try to integrate all the different components going into a building so that you know, they know, let's say, what the high voltage uh, capacity is and, and correlate that with the, the heating and cooling of the building. So it's it's evidently, you know, all integrated into the design. Right. And conceivably, these could come up very quickly. Um, the Lima one out in Eva here on Oahu just was uh, brought online last month. Mm -hmm. And with the Kona next spring, I mean, I can certainly see if this is decided upon even for the Navy, seeing this as something that they want to do for their uh, installations. Uh, I, maybe we'll see Project Frog everywhere. Well, next up, the population of humpback whales in the North Pacific rebounding from less than 2,000 in, in the 1960s to more than 20,000 today. A coalition of Hawaii fishing groups is petitioning the federal government to remove them from the endangered species list. The Associated Press reported last week that the Hawaii Fishermen's Alliance for Conservation and Tradition is asking for the whales in the North Pacific to be declared a distinct population out of a global population of more than 50,000 and then to remove the endangered label from that, um, from that one group. The alliance is quick to point out that other regulations, including a broad ban on, uh, broad ban on commercial whaling, will continue to protect the whales even without the endangered designation. The group's aim is to more limit the use of the Endangered Species Act as a tool for fisheries and resource management. Humpback whales were declared endangered in 1970. Philip Fernandez, president of the Fishermen's Alliance, told the AP, you cannot add species after species after species without evaluating whether there are species that should come off. While several species are, are nominated to the endangered species list each year, the last time one was removed was in 2008. That was the Caribbean monk seal, and it was taken off the list because it had gone extinct. 
The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has until mid-July to review the petition, and if it is found to have merit, they have to issue a decision by next April. NOAA's own study of the humpback whale population launched in 2009 is still underway. Now, when you think about it, when you put a species under the sort of endangered species uh, sort of protection, uh, there's a lot of things that need to go into protecting perhaps the environment. Like uh, usually for plants, you, you you can build, you know, like these exclosures. Right. And, well, it certainly factors into environmental impact mm-hmm, statements mm-hmm. and certainly can, I can see, directly impact the cost of a project or a cost of a business. Um, I think it's interesting, though, that uh, this is really a something that they're phrasing as something they're doing on principle. You know, it's not like they want to hunt whales, they want them off the list because they've rebounded so well, we have a good population of them, and they are objecting more to the fact that uh, the process seems to be more additive all the time mm-hmm. and not really taking them off. And there is precedent. They actually, Although the last removal from the list was because it had gone extinct, mm-hmm. uh, prior to that, in, in 1994, they removed the North Pacific gray whale because it had recovered enough. So they're saying, you know, perhaps it's time for the humpback whale on that. I'm list. just wondering if, uh, you know, being an endangered species, does that uh, influence, let's say, how close a boat can get to the whale? And, you know, if they come off the endangered list, you know, now can you get closer? Well, that's a, that's a fair question. And also, you know, humpback whales are a driver of the economy in Hawaii because people go on whale-watching tours, for mm-hmm, example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would imagine that the endangered species designation helps create those regulations that talk about the distance. But it's, it's certainly an interesting proposal for sure. In Washington, D.C., the U.S. Senate on Monday approved legislation that would require online retailers to collect sales tax on behalf of states. It's a move that supporters say would close an enormous loophole that hurts brick-and-mortar stores. But while the Marketplace Fairness Act passed the Senate 69-27, and uh, both Hawaii senators voted in support, the bill is seeing resistance in the House of Representatives. House Speaker John Bonner yesterday said he wouldn't support it, and the chair of the Judiciary Committee expressed reservations about the way that the Senate handled the bill. Hawaii Representative Maisie Hirono said in a press release, Hawaii entrepreneurs should not be put at a disadvantage with online retailers who can offer seemingly lower prices simply because they aren't required to charge Hawaii state and local taxes. It's a matter of fairness. And while the bill would seek to collect the estimated $23 billion in annual taxes on online purchases that are not being collected, it has an ex- um, exemption for small businesses that can earn less than $1 million from out-of-state sales. But the bill would effectively override a 1992 Supreme Court decision that prevented states from collecting sales tax from companies with no in-state presence. That ruling has already prompted some states to more expansively define what an in-state presence is, including Hawaii. Large online retailers like Amazon.com, Best Buy, and Walmart have expressed support for this bill, but opponents point to the many complications involved in requiring companies to navigate tax laws, accounting, and payments across every state. Well, and, you know, I would imagine that implementing a system like this would be fairly costly, and perhaps, you know, Amazon can afford to implement something, but I can understand why also, you know, they would want to limit these um, retailers, online retailers, to the ones that are a million dollars and more. In fact, there's a proposal where that would increase to $10 million and below would be the ones right, that didn't, have, that to, limit, for didn't sure. have to implement this. Um, and it's it's something that we've talked about Hawaii struggles with. I mean, and we've had a lot of very significant tax rulings just for the Hawaii transient accommodations tax and such as well. Um, but there there's that ongoing conflict between 
traditional stores and they're worried about showrooming. You know, mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. they shop in the store just to look at it and touch it and play with it, and then they go home and um, buy it on Amazon. So it's certainly interesting. Um, I do agree, though, that it'd be very complicated. The bill even says that state governments would have to give retailers software to calculate the state tax for that state based on zip code. And uh, I can't imagine asking a business to have 50 different applications running to do these calculations. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a story that we'll, we'll closely follow and see how it uh, ultimately unfolds. For sure. Finally, a couple of quick stories that we wanted to share with you. Tomorrow afternoon, the sun will be partially eclipsed by the moon. Hawaii is one of the few land masses where the eclipse will be visible. Weather permitting, the eclipse begins at 2.22 in the afternoon, reaching its maximum phase, about one-third the moon's surface, at 3.48 p.m. The best place to check it out may be the lawn of the Honolulu Zoo, where the Institute for Astronomy will be on hand with telescopes, solar filters, and information. And that's tomorrow, May 9th, at 2.22 p.m. And next week, the University of Hawaii is hosting its first hackathon, modeled after other events like City Camp and Startup Weekend, Hack UA. 2013 will bring people together to tackle big ideas, build solutions, or, quote, fail gloriously in trying, unquote. Sponsored by UH and local hackerspace High Capacity, the event will take place in the Post Building at UH Manoa from 10 a.m. on Monday, May 13th, through 9 p.m. on Wednesday, May 15th. And for more information, you can visit hackuh.slickage, S-L-I-C-K-A-G-E, dot com. And, of course, now joining us here in the studio is Wayne Lewis from the Honolulu Community College to tell us about the annual PCAT IT <laughs> Summit. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Thanks for having me, Bert. Well, you know, uh, before we c- get into the IT Summit, uh, tell people what PCAT is because every time we mention the, you know, the name, we don't really tell people what that acronym really stands for. Okay, well, PCAT is the Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, and it's a not for-profit consortium of the University of Hawaii Community Colleges. And the mission of PCAT is to provide leadership and training in advanced technologies to enhance economic and workforce development programs and initiatives in the state of Hawaii and the Pacific Rim. How's that? Yeah, pretty good. It's almost like... You knew exactly what it was. So uh, the IT Summit is an annual event. I think I went last year. I mean, mm-hmm. and basically it's it more engages, I would imagine, the community and getting involved. This year, Bert is helping to put together some sessions, for example, on open data. Uh, but broadly speaking, um, what is the IT Summit? Who is it for? Well, the uh, PCAT IT Summit has been running 11 years, and it's primarily for K-12 educators, both teachers and administrators, as well as community college teachers and administrators. And we also have a sprinkling of people from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And the focus of the conference is to talk about how how uh, uh, educators implement technology in education so we you know whether that be apple or microsoft or what have you uh this year bert has uh, helped us out a lot with uh, a track on open government and open data and um, geographic information systems so i'd like to thank bert for helping us out with that you're more than welcome uh so we also have some sessions in women in technology and we have sessions in linux and we have you know Mm -hmm. the typical geeky sessions on just using specific products. Um, and we also have a uh, sponsor this year, the Mid-Pacific Information and Communications Technology NSF 
Advanced Technology Education Center based out of California. This is the first year we've had a sponsor, and we'd like to give them kudos for helping us out this year. So, so Wayne, when um, you put on this uh, conference and you have you know the uh, attendees, what would you like the attendees to sort of walk away from this conference with? Is it is it more the the, the technical, um, let's say, workshops that they can attend, or is it more kind of an overview of you know, let's say the topic, because the sessions that I help put together, um, they're relatively short. I mean, they're they're probably less than an hour. And, you know, if we talk about visualizations or mapping, it's it's more or less a, you know, sort of a high-level introduction to the topic. That's right. So uh, answer your question, it's pretty much all of the above. We cover all the bases. We do have some technical sessions, but as you said, our the sessions are 45 minutes long, so we uh, don't have a lot of time to go into a lot of depth. Uh, we do have, I would like to mention a, a couple keynote speakers at sure. the conference this year. Keone Kali will be the uh, first keynote on Thursday, May 16th, and he's a deputy CIO for the state of Hawaii, and he's helping implement um, Sunny Bagawalia's uh, strategic implementation plan for the state sure. of Hawaii. And we have Kevin Hughes on May 17th, who is presenting uh, the session the keynote on, thir- on Friday morning. So um, to answer your question, though, Bert, we do have a, a wide range of sessions. And what we'd like the people to uh, leave the, the conference with is some skills that they can use in their, uh, in their day-to-day instruction or in their administrative duties as they go back to their uh, DOE high school or community college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, do you, um, <clears throat> let's see, have... That uh, about estimated how many people usually attend because this is something that you usually put the word out. But you know, you, I know that you've emailed me a, a passcode, so it's sort of <laughs> so it's sort of limited, right? That's correct. We have about the same number this year as last year. It's grown steadily over time in a sort of linear fashion. So we have 170 people signed up so far. Mm-hmm. If there's anybody that's interested in attending, my email address is waynel at hawaii.edu. That'd be the best way to check because we've effectively closed registration at this point. Uh, so again, that's waynel at hawaii.edu. And if they email you, they, you could probably open it up and let them, Absolutely. Let them in. And Have we can also help you here at uh, feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. Um, I hope to make it uh, to see what Bert has to say. So uh, what are the dates and uh, where is it taking place? Okay, so May 16th and 17th, that's uh, Thursday and Friday of next week at Honolulu Community College in Building 2. Sounds good. Thanks, Wayne, for joining us. Thank you very much, Bert. Thank you, Ryan. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Heather Juni and Robbie Omura, and they're here to talk about the Henry Kuuloa Juni Digital Archive. Since we last checked in with them, a lot has happened. So what is the goal and the current progress of the Digital Archive project? What pieces get archived? What what are some of the gems in the archive? We'd, of course, love your questions as part of the conversation as well. So please be ready to call 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, you can also tweet us your questions at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. From free food to flexible schedules, companies put a lot of effort into corporate culture. But you know what? You ain't seen nothing yet. One thing I have noticed that they really, really pay attention to is the naming of a conference room. I'm Kai Rizdal. What's in a name indeed? That and the numbers from Wall Street next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, right after Bike Marks Cafe.
Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Renita Johnson, author of Coming to Forgiveness. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about moving from rage to forgiveness. Sunday morning at 11. Welcome back to Bite Marsh Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Heather Juni and Robbie Omura. Heather is an American filmmaker, well, American and from Hawaii filmmaker, politician, <laughs> and a former representative in the Hawaii House of Representatives. Robbie, meanwhile, is a media specialist, archivist, and videographer for Ulu Ulu, which is Hawaii's official state archive for moving images. And, of course, what does it mean to be the state's official digital archive? We'd love to hear your questions and comments and... That number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Heather and Robbie, want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. All right. We're very happy to be here. Oh, We're happy to yeah. have you. Because you guys are just so terrific. It's been, <laughs> it's been too long since you've been on the show, like You said years three, years, three, three years. Three. Man, I tell you, the years go by they super fly. fast. Yeah. They yeah. certainly do. Now, when we had you on, Heather, um, we had uh, you and Chris Lee, and, and I think at that time, uh, this was kind of a, a concept. I mean, it was a pretty well-formed con- concept, but I think at that point, I don't know, maybe you were going for initial funding, or maybe give us a little background on how this actually got started. Oh uh, Well, without going back too far, uh, uh, and just starting with uh, this uh, process uh, at the time, we were uh, lucky enough to get um, an earmark from both Senator Inoy and also Akaka. It was primarily Senator Inoy that mm-hmm. helped us with uh, an earmark that helped us with seed money that was sent to the University of Hawaii at Manoa ACM, Academy for Creative Media, uh, under systems with uh, Chris Lee mm-hmm. in charge. And that first grant, we uh, looked for um, a consultant, and we threw the net out far and wide, and we were lucky enough to um, get David Roundtree, who had the background experience, came to Hawaii, uh, did um, a, a report for us, and the last report, this report was done in 2009, the last report was done by Ruth Tamura, uh, when she was hired by uh, PBS KHET at the time, Hawaii, back in the early 80s, to do uh, a report about the um, films in Hawaii, mm-hmm. films now. This one was about films, analog material, and and digital material. So this 2009 uh, report was very very helpful in uh, as as a foundation piece for what we had to do to create Hawaii's first uh, moving image archive, which we do not have here in the state. Many states across the country have archives, na- national archives. Low state archives that are strictly for moving images, mm-hmm. as well as, as large institutions like Paramount, Disney, and uh, WGBH. Uh, but the Library of Congress has one. And what we did in this um, report was follow best practices of institutions like the Library of Congress. So David Rountree really helped us set the tone we took that information. We brought community together, community members, filmmakers, uh, individuals who had collections, institutions like PBS, uh, Lyman Museum, Bishop Museum, 
just a variety of uh, educational institutions, people that had collections, offered them an opportunity with the grants that we got to allow us to spend the money to transfer their rare footage, which they didn't have any grants for as money is tight. Mm -hmm. And so we used that money for our community. Mm -hmm. And we collected those um, treasures and we sent them to the mainland at the time because we did not have a facility at the time. And um, and we created the pilot project, and which so, which started the building blocks for how important and how necessary it was that we needed a place to have a safe, create a safe haven for our precious moving image material that was being lost every day. That's living stories, words from and visual words of people who have passed. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the 100 plus years of moving image history. I think the earliest is from 1926. And that's from the Lyman Museum, which was just a gold mine, mm. a true gold mine. And we were really grateful to be able to, to get that, to be able to, un, uh, to create uh, an opportunity to see it, not just for us, but for all of us. And that, and that too is what we're creating, is a public access digital library online. So at the time when we were here in 2009, it wasn't just a pipe dream. It was an obsession. Mm. And it was something that we knew needed to happen, not from that small group at the time, but for decades, people have, librarians and archivists, have um, realized that precious material was being overlooked. And we are in one of the saltiest states in the Union, so celluloid rots away eventually, mm -hmm. and we're seeing that videotape molds. And so um, it, with the digitization and the migration of things that started happening in 2008, 2009, we also lucked out in timing, and we were able to get the uh, that three years of funding before it was um, killed in Congress. So so the um, initial seed funding at least gave you a three-year sort of run. I'm very proud of how we spent that money. Yeah, yeah. We, we, um, it wasn't very much money in the in in the when people think of federal funds, it was um, very small. The first was I think one hundred eighty five thousand for their first grant, which mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. okay that's a lot of money, but for the magnitude of what we're trying to um, accomplish, it's pretty uh, it's pretty small. Well, yeah, and then of course you know it 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 gets on the radar of some of the uh, Congress people, and they start to uh, talk about. You know, if it's a if it's an earmark, or you know, if it's it has some sort of specific niche application, they sometimes often criticize those kinds of projects. Every state has earmark, whether they want to, um, you know, reveal that or not. Right, right. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. earmarks have been extremely helpful for most states. Mm -hmm. If some people have used it uh, badly, then that's you know what happens. Now, you know, I've been to your studio and and. Uh, uh, I've seen some of the film sort of just archived, but you archive them nicely. They're all on shelves and they're all <laughs> sort of arranged in a in a way that you can easily find them. But you know what you're talking about could be film that might be in somebody's uh, basement collecting dust somewhere, and this is over the decades are all sort of slowly deteriorating. Right, and uh, and that's the beauty of what we do. You know, we uncover treasures that are just about to be lost forever. The Lyman Museum 
footage because everyone it's it's really tough now um to to get funds to do so many different things that footage was on the verge of being lost mm -hmm. and um and i'm just really happy that that they were so open to allow us to be able to help them uh you know, take that to a digital format so everybody can see it and mm -hmm. it's really fabulous fabulous footage that you can see right now online at uluulu.hawaii.edu. Oh no, I've I've been there, and I, you know I'm just getting started uh, watching all the uh, footage. But you I, know it's all a process, and I just want to say that um, the, the the other part of uh, of the the earmarks was that we were able to hire and bring on board uh, 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 staff that um, they all have their masters in library and sciences or graduates of Academy for Creative Media, and they have best practices for doing this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so we are not, um, you know, uh, upload YouTube um, station, nor are right, we right. A, a distribution or duplicating facility uh, or public storage. So, um, well, so you know, what, what, what kind of got me interested in, in uh, having you come on was that uh, I had gone to the capital during I think it was might have been entrepreneur day and or some creative arts day or something and and there was a room set aside with some of the creative media and Robbie and, and Janelle were there and Robbie I mean uh, this is the first time I'm seeing somebody working on this digital archive besides you Heather <laughs> so I was quite impressed that Robbie uh, uh, you were working there tell us a little bit about what the, what you do for the uh, digital archive so yeah my name is Robbie and I am the media specialist there at the archive I Every day is a different experience as far as um, what we're doing there, uh, whether it's um, doing a preliminary inventory of our different collection or digitizing the various materials. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we have a variety of different types of play decks from Beta SP, Umatic deck, even uh, two one-inch players, which are very old. And um, anything analog, we can play it for the most part there. Cool. And so, what constitutes uh, the archive right now? How how much data has the have some of these unique types of formats been translated into? I mean, it sounds like it would be expensive to put that all online, have it something that can be streamed um, from uluulu.hawaii.edu. So, uh, I, as a geek, I'm kind of curious about that, about what kind of resources it's already uh, consuming. Uh, well, so far we've digitized about 300 hours just at the archive, and mm -hmm. just within the last three years. Uh, um, that is about 50 terabytes of wow. storage um, and plus redundant space. Uh, and this is all at UH right now? Uh, this is currently backed up uh, at our UH servers. And, you know, the, of that, that's around over, you know, 10,000 uh, 10, hours, I believe, um, or 1,000 hours. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, we do have about 10,000 tapes that still need to be um, cataloged, wow. uh, inventoried, and prepped for digitization. Uh, we have a lot of um, goals as far as the future and as far as access, but basically everything is accessible online as far as what we have done so far as clips, and everything that has been cataloged is also available on the website. Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. impressive. We're talking to Heather Juni and Rabi Omura from 
the Ulu Ulu official digital archive for moving images here in the state. And if you've got a question, if there's a gem that you might have in your basement, these are certainly the people you want to call. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Heather, you were talking about some of these gems. And I'm just looking at the website. I see video footage from the Lyman Museum, 1929, an inter-island flight, a canoe race. I mean, images that... Uh, almost seemed to be before there was video technology or or film technology. I mean, it's amazing how far back that goes. I'm kind of curious about if you have any recent favorites or or even Robbie when you're sitting and dealing and working with these archives. What things stick in your mind as far as uh, 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 just personal favorites, gems in this archive? Well, um, you can't pick a favorite. It's like no, no, uh, no. Uh, you know, I'll tell you the truth. A favorite <laughs> is always the the most recent collection that has come into mm. our archive, and uh, really, it's like I get so excited. The most recent collection is Meliana Meyer's uh, brilliant film uh, *Pool Mana*. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a really sweet short film on Ermgard, her auntie Ermgard Olubi, and *Pool Mana*. Mm-hmm. And uh, Les Blank, the very famous director that she worked with back in 1991, uh, was her director. And he is well known for doing uh, national public television documentaries, and he just passed away. And she had all the outtakes, all the film reels, and she um, interviewed with Les many, many people that have passed. So uh, there's a, a... fabulous opportunity for us to hear from voices and ancestors that are now on our shelves or on reels that can really share uh, uh, so much information. So, you know, we have uh, lots of uh, different collections, and that's what's really exciting is the amount of collections we have and and how much more there will be. I mean, KITV, KGMB, KGMB was one of our first biggest collections. You can think of, of news as a diary every day of one's life, we have their entire collection from as far back as 1978 with KonCon. So how does that work in terms of what you would ultimately, let's say, convert from analog to digital? Uh, All these collections that, let's say, um, take the uh, KGMB as an example, would that be something that you would want to get so that you could archive it digitally or would that be perhaps considered something that KGMB would do on their own, uh, given that you know that's that's uh, their material? Hmm. Well, you know that in the case of KGMB, this is a um, this came to us when they were leaving, tra- leaving, moving right, from right. Kapilani mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. their new facility. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they transferred all their analog tapes to DVD. DVD is a compressed. Mm-hmm. Mm, we right, right. so they were gonna. I think they were at the time. Forgive me if I might be a little bit off, but I think they were gonna throw away uh, their three quarter inch. So I went in there and I wanted to keep everything because I wanted to um, have Robbie upload it in you know as best resolution as possible and not. Uh, and Robbie can explain to you exactly what technically we do in terms of uh, the multiple different applications so that I didn't want it just in DVD, which is an access format. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, so 
mainly that was uh, what we try to do, which is uh, it makes it slower in, in getting it outputted for online viewing, but I think it's more important to have that footage in its cleanest, right, best right. format. And so that's what uh, uh, we worked with with KGMB, and that's why we got the collection. And uh, it's as simple as that. Now, j we don't own the copyright to a lot of these collections. Mm -hmm. okay. We care about preservation and just saving these movie images. Now, as a result of, uh, let's say, creating the archive and, and putting it online, do you get the okay to make it available so people can watch? Or Everyone has a contract. We have a, okay. a, an agreement between collect, uh, um, uh, collectors and ourselves, mm -hmm. the, the university. Now, I, I love the idea of KGMB archives online. I mean, I remember for a lot of television stations, even even the networks, they were recording over magnetic tape quite a bit, and so a lot of things are just lost forever. Um, but, but Robbie, when you say, oh, let's say we have a full year of KGMB night, uh, daily news broadcasts, it's only usable to someone looking for something if you have the names of the people that are interviewed, the locations that are appearing in the video clips. How does that come together? How, how when you see uh, an anchor talking about Alamoana back in the day and interviewing Auntie, how do you find those people? So that's a big part of the cataloger's job at the archive is um, inputting all the additional metadata. And we've talked about different ways of getting that information in there. And how can we get someone who's watching the video online and they say, well, that's my auntie, that's my uncle, I know, I can, I know who that person is. They can send us an email um, just addressing what clip they're referring to. Uh, at every video page, there is a comment section and you can put all your suggestions or additional information that you want included in there. Uh, that would go to the cataloger. The cataloger would add different types of tags um, that's the simplest way I can put it mm -hmm. with tags sure. and uh, attach it to those titles. And Heather, you actually mentioned uh, there was sort of one of these, you know, random discoveries involving this radio station as well in a in a recent clip. Uh, yeah, in a 1968 from uh, KHET at the time it was called, which is now PBS Hawaii, uh, we have uh, as part of the collection the 1968 Con Con, mm -hmm. black and white, and the fellow... Miller. Oh, Bob Miller, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who is the host of that show. Uh, was the, one of the originators, I believe, of uh, Hawaii Public Radio. Yeah, the first music director. And the reason why we get to, I knew that was because uh, Jim Menke came to see the archive and saw that, pointed it out to me, who that person was. And that's what we love because there's so many uh, people that people know in this in all this footage and all these stories. Fantastic. So, uh, um, Robbie, you know, in terms of uh, taking an old, let's say, video uh, and, and, you know, maybe it's on videotape and, and actually uh, digitizing it, I mean, what, what kind of uh, system do you actually input it into to achieve that? Oh, well, we have two different types of uh, digitizing stations. One is a more familiar one, uh, Final Cut Pro, mm -hmm. running on a MacBook, um, a Mac Pro computer. And that's just a uh, weird for those uh for the final cut pro station we do three different types of files uh uncompressed uh a dv25 file and a uh h264 mp4 file and that one's mm -hmm. the one that streams on and that's the one for so actually i should go into it but we have three different levels uh one would be our preservation one would be intermediate for editing and then the last would be access so our access files are 
H.264 MP4. Ah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the, we have another station, which is uh, uh, fairly pretty new, pretty on the cutting edge. Uh, it's developed by Front Porch Digital, and it's called the Sama Solo. And this is something that other uh, archives, like the Library of Congress, Smithsonian, uh, use. And this is different because uh, for our preservation file on that particular software, uh, it is a J2K uh JPEG 2000 MXF file and JPEG 2000 MXFs are lossless compressed files. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you're not so we want to keep everything as pristine as possible. Sure, sure. So this technology allows us to uh, have a smaller file size but not lose quality as far as the video. You I know, love I, this geeky stuff. No, yeah. In <laughs> fact, I want to ask uh, when we come back from the break uh, how you actually go from analog film to digital. Uh, so we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Heather Juni and Robbie Omura about the state's digital moving picture archive. And how much footage is stored in this form and what other things perhaps do we seek more than uh, anything else. We'd, of course, love to hear your thoughts as well. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. You are listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Virtuoso guitarist Ian O'Sullivan has been described as thoughtful by Classical Guitar Magazine and delightful by the Honolulu Star Advertiser. In his Atherton debut, Ian played to a standing-room-only audience. This year, he's promising a combination of Bach and Paraguayan composer Augustin Barrios, as well as local composers Jeff Peterson, Bailey Matsuda, and Byron Yasui, when he performs in HBR's Atherton Studio on Saturday, May 18th at 7.30. Reservations at 955-8821 during business hours. At the beginning of every month, HPR sends out an email newsletter called the eScape with timely information about upcoming events and links to all kinds of detailed sites. If you'd like to receive it, just go to the HPR website at hawaiipublicradio.org and click on About HPR. In the right column, you'll see the sign-up link. We'd love to add you to the mailing list, and it's just a click away. Welcome back to Bert <laughs> to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Long. It is Bert Marks Cafe. Yeah, as well. well, you know. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Heather Juni and Robbie Omura about archiving the state's moving image library. Now, I want to ask this question, and the question is, but before I get back to that, um, you know, of course, about the analog to digital conversion, and if you have a question, you can give us a call. The number is nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu or. One eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands or even the mainland. Now, right before the break, we're talking about you know going from videotape to digital archive and the various kind of levels that you would um, archive that film or the uh, the actual uh, image at. So I was kind of curious, Robbie, uh, in terms of film, we were talking primarily about video. I mean, uh, videotape. As as far as film goes, what is the conversion process there? Well, for us, we send all of our films to vendors on the mainland. Mm-hmm. And film is wonderful because the quality that comes back is just so vivid and brilliant. It's just beautiful. So a lot of the footage that Heather always refers to with the Lime Museum, it looks it looks beautiful compared to video. So, yeah. so <laughs> you know, but uh, in the film case... What if the film is is let's say Brittle deteriorating or, yeah. or, or somehow you know not up to the the you know its pristine quality? Well, you know the archive um, we have a, almost twelve thousand square feet at the uh, at the University of Hawaii West Oahu, 
We're located on the first floor of the library, and it's partitioned off. One of the first places you go is to the receiving room. That's where the collections start. Mm -hmm. And in that receiving room, uh, the archivist and the, and the cataloger and Robbie identify uh, how what what in uh, whether the tapes are in bad shape. If they're in really bad shape at that point, then they're discarded. But they, if they can be cleaned at that point, uh, then they're cleaned and then allowed into the next process, which is the next room, which starts the process of going to the cataloger and then going eventually to Robbie, who mm -hmm. digitizes mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So there is a process to see molded, molded, really badly molded tapes are bagged and separated. Because you don't want them to In contaminate fact, yes. anything else. <laughs> Correct. Now, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in terms of being the sort of the state digital archive, um, are there situations where I can imagine where some of the collections come in and, and this is something that you really want, but are there gems out there that come in unbeknownst to you? And then are there also, uh, let's say, um, collections that you might not necessarily, wouldn't fit the bill? I mean, are there things that you might end up having to reject? Reject is such a negative word. word yeah. <laughs> well, maybe so, put on the side, or you know, like, uh, well, hi, not uh, a high priority. You know, one of the things we, we're looking forward to doing in the future as well is is, is um, giving workshops, and I think we do that already. Janelle goes out there and gives workshops and and how to take care of uh, your um, home films or home videos because we we don't we're unable to collect every single. A videotape mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. there because there are VHS, SVHS, uh, all kinds of high eight, you Main know, DV. different beta. Things. <laughs> I mean, really, it's pretty. Uh, you, if you think about it, it's mm -hmm. pretty crazy the mm -hmm. amount of uh, material that's out there. So, um, so you know, the collections that come to us, um, I mean, they've been significant. I don't know exactly. I mean, we haven't had people. I mean, the people that have come to us. Have brought us pretty amazing f stuff, but then of course I think history. You know, I look at everyone's history is pretty amazing, which is you know people mm -hmm. bring the, the, a, a family from uh, from Aia, uh gave us all their films from their father during the fifties. I mean, it's just just your your next door neighbor family, but they documented a community in a point of time. Which you can really, if you're a researcher or you're putting a movie together, you know, you can really see that Kodak moment of what that community was doing, what they loved, what they ate, what foliage was outside. You know, it's just a real snapshot of that family, of that community, and a treasure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, just a family discovering that. And I was just a, a year ago, there was some video that someone had found that uh, they went on a vacation in Hawaii and they digitized all of that. And this was from the 60s or so. And just from what they were capturing, even though it was just a family video and it would pan past a building, or I mean, actually a structure that's not there anymore. And it was uh, it was uh, an eye-opening experience for a lot of the people. And, you could, and they just uploaded it to YouTube. Um, so, you know, I can see the impact of just those random discoveries. And it's funny, though, what some people decide to save versus what, they, they think is valuable at the time. Um, I know someone who collects old Hawaii television commercials. 
and, you know, kind of cheesy, probably wouldn't be right for this archive. But what he's dealing with is the fact that everybody who has videotapes or, or any recordings from back then actually were editing out the commercials because they were recording a show. And what he wants is what people were discarding back then is like an, mm-hmm. an old mm-hmm. uh, Liberty House commercial or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. We collect all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a Sparky Matsunaga ad. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, have a, uh, we have one of the first um, animated medical ads in a film that wow. we found. I, it's it, from 1958, 50-something. It's, you know, we collect, cl- we collected all of the sports um, outtakes from KGMB. We don't throw anything away. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> I mean, because I was, you know, walking around the Capitol and I saw you guys, uh, are there any other, let's say, ways that you're out there telling people about this uh, resource? Because I, I would imagine that a lot of the um, perhaps documentary uh, filmmakers here in Hawaii might might know about you, but uh, does the general public really know about going to Ulu Ulu and 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 searching for things? And actually, I, I was watching something about Eddie Aikau, and I thought, wow, this is great! I never really saw Eddie Aikau on you know on uh, on the web or anything. Truthfully, we haven't had um, a uh, your traditional public launch. But um, we are out there. We are. Uh, it's taken us time to get out there because it's been a process. Mm-hmm. It's a building mm-hmm. process. Um, uploading this material again. You know, we're not YouTube, so we just don't throw things up. Right. We right. go through best practices, and that means that we start um, with cataloging it, not just cleaning it, and getting the 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 right files together, but but that metadata is so important. Before we get it up online, and uh, so it's you know it's a takes us a little bit longer, but I but you know like the internet when that internet first came out and you thought how is the Encyclopedia Britannica going to fit in this and what little you know millions of people are going to be typing that in I mean look at it today and mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. that many you know that long ago and I predict that this library, this digital media library, is going to be phenomenal in a few years once it gets, um, you know, I, I think that it's just the beginning, and once we can take, you know, uh, we'll, our um, you know, pace will pick up and we'll be including a lot more footage up there. You know, we're talking to uh, Heather Juni and Robbie Umura from Ulu Ulu, the uh, digital archive uh, system that is archiving all the uh, state uh, moving images. And if you have a comment or perhaps even some content that you would like to perhaps uh, provide them for archiving, you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. Now, you know, um, Robbie, you've been mentioning sort of this cataloging system, and I was kind of curious once once you get the you know the um title in there uh what is a system that actually is the one that you're using is it something that is homegrown or did you guys purchase something that uh provides the way to search and and uh stream all of this material as far as i know the the cataloging software is uh, called mavis uh, it's also used by other archives um heather do you know you. The library, the Library of Congress is using it. I don't know if they're still using it, but uh, that's um, we 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 chose Mavis because at the time, which was back in two thousand nine, uh, they were one of the uh, first software companies or that that actually worked with video first as data material, not. 
print. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge difference in the way they formatted and outlined. It's very robust, though. Mm-hmm. Was it a good choice? Uh, it's complicated, but yes, I think it complicated. You know, I'm not a geek. Okay, I admit it. <laughs> <laughs> you're so, a you're a film geek. Come on, <laughs> yeah. But thanks, but but I don't. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's you know, if you're if you're the cataloger and you do back, you know, the back of the whatever, it's it's it can be complicated, but it's allows us to put a lot of information in there, and that's what we want to do. You know, the more information we put in there, 10 years from now, whatever, how many years mm-hmm, from now, mm-hmm. people are going to be so grateful sure, right. that we did it all the right steps. It's tedious. I guess I shouldn't say complicated. It's just more tedious. Well, and, 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 and let me just say, before I forget, this is a primary educational resource. Mm-hmm. This is how young people learn now, and this is where new curriculum will sprout. We have an amazing garden out there at UH West Oahu, and we're just looking for gardeners. And we just need to dig up all of these of, of the people that can help us identify all this amazing material we have there that can add to our educational system. Well, speaking of of, of young people, um, Robbie. <laughs> I'm going to kick you. <laughs> Come you know, closer, Bert. Um, you know, in terms of you know, using the cataloging system, was it like a, a steep learning curve to, to use that? And, and uh, I know it's going to be very useful, I guess, going forward to, to find material, but was it, was it something of a, uh, a complicated software to, to actually, uh, you know, I guess, use and, and implement? Uh, for me, I pretty much hands-off usually on uh, Mavis, mm-hmm. uh, but I do do very little. Um, as far as like our catalogers set up a pretty good um, process um, for how do we accession the tape, how do we prep the mm-hmm. tape, and uh, if, as long as we stick to that process, everything seems to work really smoothly. And you know the the scope of the challenge that you're talking about is not a small one. I mean, even YouTube, as 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 universal as that is, you know they get 72 hours of video uploaded every minute. And nobody's indexing the contents of every scene, every cut, every frame, every person. So as much as there's volume, mm-hmm. um, the metadata is is a huge challenge in terms of, you know, some of my favorite programming is uh, is video. But if I ever wanted to go back and sh- I can't go to a search text search and find something mm-hmm. in there. So I can def- definitely see the challenge. But speaking of challenges, you know, Heather, you talked about how this project was born out of uh, uh, earmarks and was had very specific and strong support. But, uh, you know, the, the finance situation from the federal government has changed and certainly all sorts of nonprofit organizations are struggling. Um, what does it take or what will it take to keep the archive growing and um, where are you finding the funding to, to keep uh, talented people like uh, Robbie um, doing this important work? Well, we are um, will be part of the University of uh, West Oahu. So, oh, okay. okay. So thanks to the legislature this year, uh, we were very successful in uh, being included in that. So we're very, very um, happy to be part of the University of Hawaii. So so um, in terms of uh, funding, was it uh, something that was built into the uh, the state budget or did you have to go out and get sort of separate funding no, from the legislature? I believe it's built into the state budget. Okay, so what, is it something that uh, you have at least a, a, a two-year run, three-year run? I mean, what's what kind of um, a budget did they provide you? Well, I, I believe they provided us with positions. Mm-hmm. And, I see, I see. And a, some programming. Under the UH West Oahu, and you have a beautiful new campus out there as yes. well. 
Wow, that's great. So what do you see as being some of the next uh, things that you might be going after in terms of collections, or what's the next sort of milestone for Ulu Ulu? Well, there's, you know, there's so much. It's, it, you know, the collections, we just want to work on getting more um, of the media uploaded, more metadata. We want to get people out there to help us identify. We want to be able to um, upload the pieces so that we can get people uh, on the outside to be able to get online to uh, help us identify these people that are um, on the video. We want to be able to uh, get teachers in there so they can start using the material for curriculum purposes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we want to get documentarian people in there to be able to create storytelling so that they can. You, you know, it's a it's a rope. It's a really uh, opportunity to create uh, amazing storytelling. How can some of our listeners perhaps go in and and actually help to achieve what you're trying to do in terms of metadata and, well, and you tags. Well, on online and on uh, um, Ulu Ulu. That's U L U U L U dot Hawaii dot edu. You, there is a button on the bottom right hand of the screen that says "Ask an Archivist." Uh-huh, right, and right. that is how to get in touch with Janelle, and uh, and she uh, is pretty responsive, pretty immediate, and that would be a great way to get uh, people in there. And to help us out and to identify it, or yeah. to bring in some amazing films or videos that they have of of an event, mm-hmm. absolutely. Whether so. it's uh, the the statehood or whatever it could right. be. So uluulu.hawaii.edu. There's also a Get Involved tab that can show you ways you can support the project or intern with the program. I think any media student might be interested in interning or even donate equipment. Well, you know, I, this is going to be something that I think I, I will spend some time exploring because, you know, I, I just the short time that I've looked into it, there's been some interesting video footage and uh, there's something featuring uh, Mackie Fury, who's probably a name that is not, you know, spoken much about nowadays. But, you know, back in our day, he was like, uh, he was like, Kalapana was like the Beatles of Hawaii. That's true. So I, I definitely want to go check that out. Um, well, so Heather Juni and Robbie Omura are with the uh, the uh, Ulu Ulu, the Juni Digital Archive, the official moving image archive for the state of Hawaii. And we want to thank you both for joining us today on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And, of course, thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about creating a culture of innovation. That's design thinking. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. Or if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. Or you can find us on Twitter. I'm Hawaii. And I'm at Bite Marks. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. We leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Radical Face and a song called Welcome Home. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Sweet.